0: Welcome to Central Baptist Church of Livingston, Texas. We're glad that you've chosen to study God's Word with us today. We'd invite you to visit our website, centrallivingston.com, to learn more about our mission to preach, to teach, and to live the gospel for the glory of God. Now, open your Bible or your Bible app and study God's Word with us. Man, you can be seated. Yeah, we want all of Livingston to hear us this morning, don't we? Yeah, we want all of Polk County to hear us. You can be seated. You know, as we're praying this morning, you can come forward now and pray with us here at the front. You know, we are in the midst of a 30-day prayer guide where we are praying the same things toward the same God as a church. And I hope you're participating along with myself and, and many in our church. Uh, many prayer guides have been picked up, so I'm grateful for that. Um, today we come on October the 2nd we're praying for financial um, stability we're praying for God to move among us just financially I want to read one verse it comes out of your prayer God today it says this and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work every good work let's pray together this morning God as we come to you today we thank you for the ability, Lord, through music to sing about you. Uh, We we learn about you through your word. Um, You show us, God, who it is that you have revealed yourself to be. We get to sing back to you, Lord, the things that we know to be true about you that we find in your word. So thank you this morning. Father, you are with us. Your presence is here. We know that God, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've experienced this week, God, You are real and you are here with us today. And we take comfort in that. Um, We find joy in that today. Our hearts are filled this morning with the reality and the understanding that, God, you are here and you are working among our midst. We have seen you already in the heart and mind of one who's come for baptism, who have given his life to you. God, there are others in this room we know that need to give their lives to you others that need to follow through with decisions in their life, whether that be baptism or membership or ministry or whatever the case may be. But we know and understand this morning that you are here with us, you are working among us, and we are grateful for that time. Father, we come to you. We know and believe that you are a God who answers prayer. We know that you're a God who, Lord, moves towards us when we move towards you. We know and understand, God, that you never abandon us and you never leave us you are here and so we pray to you and we know that you will listen to us not based on what we have done but based on the work of your son Jesus on the cross and from the grave that we have life today we sang about heaven a moment ago God we don't know what heaven will look like we can't see it on this side but we know what your word tells us and we long for that day we long for that day but we are here now and we are seeking your face God, in the midst of this month, we pray. Pray for various things. And Lord, today we continue and pray for our congregation, our church, as we have wrapped up a week of praying for our church. We are praying the same things towards you, a God who hears, a God who moves. So we pray today, Father, we know that God, you have poured out your grace and mercy upon us. Everything in life is stewardship. We rec- recognize that. Our very hearts that are beating today the very breath that we breathe today comes from you the money the possessions the things the health everything we have God comes from you and we want to be good stewards of what you've given us as a church would you meet our needs but beyond meeting our needs God would you work in every human heart across our congregation that you would find us benevolent you would find us giving God you would find us Desiring to leverage all that you have given to us Lord for the sake of building your kingdom not our own But yours as we believe in that verse that tells us that Lord if we lay up our treasures in heaven Where moth and rust do not destroy that? matters it matters for eternity so God find us giving as a congregation today Lord we give you this time as we look into your word for the next few moments We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and direct us because you wrote these words. And God, would you just reorient our hearts towards you today and that as we'd have a chance to respond at the end, that, Father, you would find us open and obedient, willing to rearrange our lives for the sake of, of your word. And we pray these things in your holy Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, good morning again. It's good to see you again, once again. You know, as you're returning to your seats, I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. A few Sundays ago, we uh, began talking about various conversations we are having as a church on Sunday mornings. Um, I say conversations in the sense that, you know, what does God want to say to us as a church And there are a lot of things God wants to say to us. He says things to us each and every week. But, you know, in particular, these last few Sundays as I've been praying and asking God, God, what do you want for this church? And what do you want to say to us? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to us as a church? God's just been very clear in beginning to kind of reorient my heart, my life, towards what he wants for us. So we've been thinking about and talking about kind of what does God want to say to us as a congregation. We come this morning to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to read those verses here in just a moment. Listen, everybody knows that when you have a a boat, you tie it down, don't you? You anchor it. Uh, If you can't anchor it, if you're way out in the Gulf or several hundreds of feet down, you're not going to anchor your boat. But you're going to use that trolling motor. You're going to keep it kind of in the same vicinity that you are. Why do you have to use that trolling motor? Because if you do not use that trolling motor, you will do what? You will drift you will wander off. Now, it's easy to understand that For when it comes to a small boat, because a small boat, especially if you're way offshore, you have no idea whether you're drifting, do you? If you have none of your instrumentation, you have none of that on your boat, and you're just sitting there on the horizon, bobbing up and down, way out in the Gulf of Mexico, and the you know, horizon does not have any land to it, you have no idea that you're drifting. You have no idea that you're moving. It's easy to understand that that is a you know, cause for disaster, because eventually you're going to end up way away from where you intended to be. But when he comes to and understand larger vessels, it's even more so important, right? In other words, when you're coming in off the Gulf of Mexico, and you're coming in right there in Galveston, and you're making your way in, there are these large vessels oftentimes that are that are there, and they have cargo. Some of them have those big, huge uh, uh, cargo uh, tanks or, or cargo um, containers on them. Some of them are LNG ships. Some of those are, have petroleum on them. Some of them have oil on them. Some of them have all kinds of different cargo and different types of cargo. And these large vessels are sitting there off the coast of Galveston. You know what keeps them there? What keeps them there are these large anchors that are anchored down to the bottom of the The floor of the sea. That's important because, listen, if you don't have an anchor and if you're just sitting there and a captain just takes his hand off the wheel and the controls and then begins to go about his his week, what's inevitably going to happen to that massive ship that has all of those containers that are on top of it? It's going to drift. It's going to maybe move into into another ship or it's going to run itself aground. It's going to be a disaster in every respect. When Paul looks at the Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy, he looks at young Timothy, who's a young pastor. He pours into this young pastor, and he says, first and foremost, he says a lot of things to Timothy. But here in 2 Timothy, he says these words. He says, listen, you need to, uh, to understand, Timothy, that you need to build your life. You need to be anchored to God's word. God's word. Look at it with me there in 2 Timothy. We're going to begin reading in just those two verses. Let me read it for us and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Let me get there. 360, there I am. It tells us this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul's writing this to this young person pastor, young Timothy, and he wants to sum up for him how it is that his life is to be secure, how his life is to remain secure, how he is to be anchored and have a successful life as a young pastor, how he is to lead that any particular church that God puts him over, how he is to lead his own personal life. And so he says these variety of different things to him, but he's summarizing here saying, listen, you need to have this foundation in your life. Everything you believe Everything you preach, everything you teach needs to be done in light of God's Word. And so, listen, what you believe matters. What you believe matters. What I believe matters. What we believe matters. What, what we believe about God, what we believe about, you know, creation, what we believe about the Word of God, what we believe about um, uh, a, a variety of different things across the board Matters. It matters according to what we are anchored to, which is why we're looking at these two verses today because I think it's important for us to understand that. God wants you and I to succeed. He wants you and I to succeed in life. He wants you to succeed in your marriage. He wants you and I or you to succeed in your particular role. Maybe you've lost your husband or lost your wife He wants you to succeed as a now single adult in your life. And what does that look like for you? He wants you to succeed as a business owner. He wants you to succeed as a father, as a mother. He wants you to succeed in any particular role you find yourself in as a student in high school, college student, young adult, not married yet, looking for a husband, looking for a wife. He wants you to succeed. But he doesn't leave us aimlessly helpless out there trying to figure out how to live this life that is sometimes most so complicated. He gives us his word. He gives us instruction. He gives us direction as to how to live our lives. And so as Paul talks to Timothy and he's writing here to Timothy, he's been trying to be very clear to Timothy and he says, "Listen, you know, when your life is anchored to his word, to my word, God's word, then there's going to be success. There's going to be vitality. There's going to be health. When you're worried, when you're when you're not anchored to God's word, Timothy, Paul says, then you're going to find yourself shaken, you're going to find yourself uh, wavering, you're going to find yourself drifting, which leads to disaster. It may sound and feel and look good on the surface, but inevitably it's going to lead down the road of disaster. So as Paul says to Timothy, God says to Timothy, God says to us very clearly out of these two verses, listen, God's word is so vital to your life. And I say that again, God's word is so vital to your life. God's word is so vital to our church. This truth always keeps you from drifting into believing in something or thinking about something or embracing something in your life that isn't correct and ultimately leads you away from the Lord. That's the ultimate end game if you don't follow his word. But praise God, he has given us his word, right? Right? Listen, we don't, are not even here this morning. We do not know how to do church. We do not know how to worship him. We do not know how to, 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 to teach or we even what to study or we even what to embrace or even what to believe without his revealed word, right? That's why it's so important to us in our lives. So we're going to walk through it this morning. The question is, why? Why is it so important? Why is it so vital to our lives? Why is it so vital to our church? Well, that's an important question. And it's one that I think Paul is writing here to Timothy and helping him to understand. So I want to unpack just for us this morning out of these two verses, just several ways in which we see how God's word is so vital to your home, to your marriage, to you as an individual, to your future, to your past, to your present, and to our future, to our present, to our past. Why is God's word so vital to us? First one is this, if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down so you understand what these two verses mean. And I think it has a divine origin. Why is it so vital to your life? Because it comes from who? Say it with me, it comes from God. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from a bunch of human beings that, get, that were held up in some you know, classroom for days on end or months on end. They didn't have this little spiritual retreat and then write a bunch of really cool uh, uh, and, and important uh, moral thoughts down that I should then, then sway and encourage other people with. No, It comes from God directly. And what Paul is telling Timothy there, young Timothy, he's reminding him there, verse 16, he says, all scripture is what? Breathed out by who? God. That's right. It's all breathed out by God. It comes from the Lord entirely. So that all means what? Say it with me. All. All scripture means what? All scripture. Not the parts of scripture that I disagree with or that, you know, I'm having a kind of hard time with and therefore I'm kind of going to skip over those parts. No, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's not breathed out by man. It's breathed out by God. Now, certainly when Paul is writing this to Timothy, he's not referencing the New Testament. He doesn't have what you have in your hands. He doesn't have the New Testament scriptures. What he's writing to Timothy is becoming, going to become the New Testament scriptures. But what is he referring to there? He's referencing directly the Old Testament. He's referencing directly what it said in the Old Testament, the old, the, what the prophets spoke of and, and how God moved in the past and in, in the, the writings of the, of the past. But he is also implying that whatever God says in the future, whatever God brings this, his word together to be, that is all breathed out by God. So it's the Old Testament and it's the New Testament, but what God, what Paul says here is that there's something big here about the Bible. There's something big here about his word. And it is his word, but it's something important about it. It's God, what, breathed, meaning it's inspired by God. Now, understand that when when he's saying this, it's not as though he inspires the authors themselves. He's inspiring the words that the authors wrote. He tells the authors what to put down on paper. He, He inspires. That is the inspired word of God. The authors themselves are not necessarily inspired. They're imperfect people just like you and I. But it is inspired nonetheless, the words that they write. See, this is what he did. He took the minds, and he took the hearts, and he took the circumstances, and he took the backgrounds, and he took all of the things that these men used to write the word of God down, and then he inspired the words that they wrote. So when the Bible speaks to you and I, listen, when the Bible speaks to our church, it's God speaking to us. It's not a man. It's not any human being speaking to you. It is God himself that is speaking to you. A few years ago, I had a chance to take my three older boys to Washington, D.C. You ever been to Washington, D.C.? I used to live not far from it. I went to college two hours from D.C., and so I'd been to D.C. a lot of times. But my sons had never really been there. My three oldest wanted to go, and I I knew they wanted to go at some point, so I surprised them, and I said, okay, we're going to go up to Washington, D.C. and do it in one day. We were out in in Virginia visiting family, and I said, you know what, I've got a close friend who works one block off the Capitol building, and uh, so he's got a special parking space he was gonna let us use, and so we decided we were gonna do D.C. in a day. That's what we called it, D.C. in a day. You know how many miles we walked that day? How many, Peyton? 11. We walked 11 miles that day. We were exhausted and tired, but we did D.C. in a day. And uh, we went from place to place to place to place all over D.C. And it was fun, but it was exhausting. One of the places that we got a chance to see was the Library of Congress. You ever been to the Library of Congress? When you go into the Library of Congress, it's right behind the Capitol building. Beautiful library, fascinating place, tons of history there, obviously. But what's interesting about the Library of Congress is that the entire library of Thomas Jefferson is there. So when you walk into the kind of the big space right there as you're starting to come into the library, they have it walled off with glass, but there are the bookcases and all of the books of Thomas Jefferson's entire library right there. It's incredible. Within the Library of Congress, do you know how many volumes exist of books, periodicals, different things that exist in there? You ready for this? 167 million. Million. There. Here's the thing as incredible as the Library of Congress is, as incredible as those, 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 those volumes are and historical as those things are, it pales, listen to me, in comparison to what you have in your lap. Pales in comparison. The power of it, the revelation of it, all of it. 167 million, are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm, I'm dead serious. More important than the Library of Cong- Congress. Paul says to Timothy here in this first little phrase of ch- uh, verse 16 listen, God's word, his word is God breathed, and therefore it is critical to your life, Timothy. It's vital to your life, Timothy. We're in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It tells us this. Paul says this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We might have hope. We sing of hope, don't we? We, we sing of God's grace, don't we? Where, where do we get those concepts from? We get them from the word of God. If it doesn't exist, we have no understanding of God's grace. Just ask the over 3,000 unreached, unengaged people groups around the world that have never even heard the name Jesus before. They still live in darkness, complete darkness. But, but we have the light, we have this revealed word in front of us that is literally life changing. It changes my life, it changes my family, it changes my home, it changes my understanding of how I view God, how I view myself, and how I need to reorient my life towards him. It shapes how I view the church. It shapes how I view my entire circumstance that I experience in my life, the, whether it's a good circumstance or difficult circumstance. If, it, if, if the word of God comes from him, it's God's voice. If it truly comes from him and we see it here, then guess what? The Bible cannot be changed. A little secret, God doesn't change his mind what He tells you in His Word, He's not going to go back on what He's told you. Whatever, whatever He's promised to you, he, he doesn't go back on that. He doesn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed and say, you know what, I'm going to stick it to those people. They were mean to me. They didn't follow me. They didn't, they didn't walk with me. They didn't love me today. Therefore, you know what, I forget them. He's not like you and I. He doesn't change His mind. He doesn't change, and the Word of God cannot be changed. You know, I can't get 100 years from now and someone sits down with this and says, you know what, I don't like what that says in that verse. I'm gonna change what it means. No, we don't have that privilege because it comes from God and God doesn't change what he wants to say. I'll tell you something else, it never contradicts itself. The Bible, the word of God will never contradict itself. You won't find a passage of scripture over here and then you turn in your Bibles way over here and you find another passage that completely contradicts what what it says. God does not contradict himself. He does not speak out of one side of his mouth and say one thing out of one side of his mouth and say another out of his other side of his mouth, like some people do. God's not like us. What he says, he says. He never contradicts himself. If that is the case, then guess what? The Bible, God's word, can be trusted. It can be trusted. We can build our church on the word of God. We can build our families on the word of God. You can build your life students on God's Word, not on what the culture's telling you. You can trust what God is saying to you, right? You can, because it never returns void, never changes his mind, it never changes, it never contradicts itself, it can be trusted. So much so, let me give you some more statistics. The Bible was written over 2,000 years, had almost 40 different authors. It was written in three different languages, on three different continents, and it all has one cohesive story. There is no religious book like this. There is no novel like this. There is no historical document that was written over 2,000 years, has 40 different authors, written in three different languages, written on three different continents that never contradicts itself, but is a seamless one story. God is who he says he is. We broke from God humanity. We needed to be rescued And therefore, he rescued us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's going to return again for us one day. That's why you can trust the Bible. Oh, it's trustworthy because it has God God as its voice. God has written it for us and revealed himself to us, which leads to the second reason why you and I can trust the Bible, both in our church, in your home, and in your individual life. The Bible is important to you because it has a designed usefulness. It is good for you, and it's good for me. Paul wants to tell this to Timothy. He wants to say this to Timothy. He wants him to understand this. I mean, look what it says at the end of verse 16. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, and why, and what is it? It's profitable in four ways. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. God doesn't just speak to us just to talk. You ever think about that? God is not just speaking to us just to hear himself talk. He reveals his word to you and I because it is good for you and I to both hear and listen and rearrange our lives towards what he wants. It's profitable. It's good. It's what the word profitable means, right? It is useful. It's beneficial to us. That's why you should make the Word of God important in your life to where you don't just talk about it, you actually internalize it and read it and memorize it and obey it and sing it and pray it in many ways. It's profitable in four different ways. Paul says to Timothy, and we see it here this morning, number one, it's teaching. God's Word teaches us, it instructs us. It answers those questions of the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how, and the why of God. It begins with God. It is all about God revealing himself to us. God reveals himself to you and me. You know what that keeps me in check from? Saying, you know what? My God is this way, or, or I think my God is this way. Or I feel like today my God is this way. You no, know, he keeps that in check. Now, what is God and how does God reveal himself to you and me in his word? And it answers the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how and the why of everything. of of creation, of his church, of who God is and his plan, his rescue story, of sending his son Jesus into the world. It helps us understand these things. We don't fully understand everything, but we understand what we need to understand about God, and we need to understand about ourselves. It helps us understand why we are the way we are. Listen, you may have woken up this morning or maybe in a season in life where you find yourself drifting into Central Baptist Church, and you're trying to figure out, why do I keep doing the things that I do? Why do I keep making a mess of my life? Why, why, is, why am I this way? Why, why can't I ever seem to get beyond that hurdle? Why can't I ever seem to fix myself? The Bible reveals why that is the case. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, doesn't it? It tells us that the wages of our sin is death. It tells us that the reason why I sin is because I'm broken. Because inside of me, I have this desire to rebel against all authority in my life, meaning beginning with God. And therefore, I am a slave to sin. I can never do enough to fix myself, right? The only way I know these things that we talk about on Sundays and on Wednesdays and every day of the week when I wake up in the morning, the only way I know those things is because the Bible has revealed them to me. I don't know why I am the way I am without the scriptures in front of me, right? Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine being born blind, being born deaf. You see, sometimes people go blind. When they go blind, they have a reference point. They remember what colors looked like. They remember what sounds sounded like if they weren't born this way, but, but, but imagine Being born without any senses, the ability to taste, the the ability to hear, the ability to see. You don't know what a sun looks like. You don't know what the sunrise looks like. You don't know what the color red looks like or blue looks like. You, You don't know what the sound of any person's voice sounds like. You can't even hear your own voice speak. Imagine not being able to taste things. We can't imagine that, can we? But understand that without God revealing himself to us and teaching us about himself and about us, that's who we are. We are in complete and utter darkness. But God didn't want to leave us there. So he, he brings his word into our life. He speaks into our life. We gain an understanding about himself. We gain an understanding about meaning and purpose and life. We gain an understanding about our humanity and why humanity is the way it is. We have an understanding. We gain an understanding about creation and understand why God created and how he created in many ways these kinds of things and what we see and what we hear and what we taste and what we smell, right? We can interpret our past. I mean, how many of us have failed in our past? How many of us have made a mess and a wreck of our lives in our past? How many have made, made major mistakes that we can't take back in our past? He, God's word helps us to reconcile that, to work through that. He makes sense of himself and gives us this understanding of his presence in the present, but he gives us hope in the future. He does that through his word. He helps us understand these things. Now listen, God's word teaches us in a formal setting like this. God has a unique word for each of us every single Sunday. He has a word for you in your Bible study classes. He has a word for you specifically in whenever you open your Bibles this afternoon or tomorrow morning over a a, a cup of coffee. He has a distinct word for you. Sometimes it comes in formal settings. Sometimes, however, it comes in informal settings. The fact of the matter is the word of God teaches. It's one of its purposes is that it teaches. How is it profitable to us? It teaches us. It's at the heart of who we want to be here at Central. It's at the heart of all of our decision-making, our ministries, our future, our past, our present. We want it to be, we want to be rooted in all of it, right? The Word of God. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and I want you to listen to these words because he says this to this group of religious leaders who were part of the church in Ephesus. Back in Acts chapter 20, we looked at this weeks ago, Acts chapter 20, verse 20, he says, he's defending his own ministry to them, and this is what he says. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. You See, the teaching ministry of God's word comes in more formal settings. It also comes house to house. When you're sitting there across the table from another sister or brother in Christ over a cup of coffee and you're discussing life, You're discussing a big decision in your life and that other brother and sister gives you wise and godly counsel. That's how God's word is being used to teach you or you're teaching someone else. But it also comes in formal settings such as this. It comes when you as a parent sit down with your child who's going through a difficult season and you open the scriptures or you point them back to the Lord. You talk about it as you go but it also comes in formalized seasons. It is profitable for teaching. Here's a second reason that Paul says to Timothy, it's profitable, it's profitable for reproof. Maybe that's what your translation says. Maybe it says rebuke. God's word rebukes us, right? At times, that's not pleasant. We understand the Bible says in Isaiah 53:6, it says that all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. Yeah, we know we've gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own way. That's what sheep do, don't they? They drift off, they wander off. It happens to all of us. Isaiah 53, 6 helps us understand the reason why we needed a shepherd Jesus to come into the world to shepherd us, to bring us back to the Father, to bring us back to the Lord. What the Bible does is it reproofs us, it rebukes us. It it is a tool to bring us and understand how to to bring us back to our first love, and that's the Lord in our life. It's a really good thing. It's a really good thing when my toes are stepped on. Amen? I mean, here's the thing. Let me put it to you this way. If you were in a car, and you were driving, and man, you're joyriding, and you're listening to your your music, and you just got the windows down, you know, it's a cool October now day here in East Texas. Cool mornings, at least this week low humidity, and you got the windows down, and you're just driving. But what you don't know is that about one mile away, there's a bridge out. And you're just, man, you're just cruising. Let me ask you a question. Do you want someone to step in, get out in the road and go like this, and say, you're on the wrong road. You need to stop. The bridge is out. Do you want someone to do that? Or do you want someone not to get involved in your life? Leave me alone. I'm enjoying my song, and I'm out here with my windows down. Get out of my way. I'm living my own life. I'm driving. Leave me alone. Do you want someone to step in and rebuke you and tell you to stop or to get off the wrong word or to warn you about what the dangers that's around the corner? Yes, we do, don't we? And That's what the Bible does in our life, and sometimes it steps on into our life and helps us to, to, get to, to move back towards God. Spiritually, we drift, in, in, in my way, two different ways. We drift broadly when someone maybe speaks into our life or teaches us in our life that really sounds like 90% true and accurate, or maybe it's 95% right or 95% true and accurate, and then th- that there's that 1% or that 5% that's wrong. The next thing you know, once I've listened to this person who is 95 or 99% right or 98% right based on what the Bible says, and I've listened to that 2%, 2%, 2%, guess what's happening? It's building up and it's shaping my mind. It's shaping my thought. It's shaping my understanding of God that might not be right. It's shaping my understanding of my circumstances that may not be right. And inevitably, we find ourselves spiritually drifting. That's broadly speaking how sometimes we get off track. Specifically though, sometimes we just choose to f- not to follow God's word. And we're just like, nope, I like how my life is. I, I-, I like this relationship that I'm involved in even though it's not what God wants and how he, you know, it's not what God says. It's, I-, I like it, my-, my heart's telling me this thing and I'm gonna follow my heart. But don't you want someone to step into your life to warn you about the possibilities or the potential of where that relationship will go. There may be that bridge it's out, that it's not God's will. And when we don't follow God's will, it leads to destruction. Don't you want someone to step into your life in that space? Maybe not in the moment, but we certainly want to follow God's will that leads to success and blessing. Now, this is what God's word does. It exposes our sin. We understand that, it exposes when we're off track, it exposes when we're wrong. We need that in our lives. We need God to speak into our our lives and help us to understand that it's wrong. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is living and active, it's sharper than any two judges sword, very sharp at times. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart gets really, 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 really close. To us. it's what God's Word does. It gets really, as we sit back in Virginia, it, gets, it cuts really close to the corn. Which means it kind of steps on my emotions, my feelings, my, my, my world a little bit too much sometimes. But we want that. God's word brings clarity to us. It it brings clarity when I'm deviating from God's will. So it's for reproof and rebuke. Paul says to Timothy: listen, not only is it for teaching, for rebuke and re- reproof, but it also is for correction. It's the one place where we understand that God brings us back to Him. That word correction simply means to set right or to set up straight and restore something to its proper condition. Like don't we want to be restored? To our proper condition. Don't want to be the, the church that God loves, the church that God blesses, the church that God anoints. Don't we want to be that church that God says, yes, they're following me. They're pursuing me. They're coming, uh, and, and they want what I want, not what they want. They're not all about themselves anymore. They want what I want. Don't we want to be that kind of church? I love what the Word of God says. I am so glad That God doesn't just rebuke me, rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But he says, no, there's a better way. If you just go this way, things will work out well for you. If you just build your marriage this way instead of the way you want to do it, things will go well for you. I will bless you. You may not see it immediately, but you will see it in longevity over the course of your marriage. Oh, there's always a better way. God's word always brings us back. It always corrects us. He brings us to the point, back to God's way. And what an encouraging thing to be reminded of. Psalm 119 says this, these few verses about young men. Listen, take note, young men in the room. You decide when you're younger, when you're older in the room. I'm not going to decide that for you, but listen to what it says. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Young men, teenagers. Young men in life, how do you want to you keep your way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Listen to verse 10, Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments because we are prone to wander, right? now, what the old hymn says, we're prone to wander. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a direct correlation. If you want to be holy and pure in your life, if you want to live a life of of holiness and righteousness in your life, there's a direct correlation to the word of God in your life. God doesn't just come in and teach you about who he is. He not only rebukes you, but he also corrects you. He says, hey, there's a better way. There's a better way to live your life. Which leads to this final part here. Paul says to Timothy, listen, not only teaching, not only rebuke, not only correction, but what? Training in what? righteousness, training in righteousness. God wants what's best for you. Remember, that's what it says. Why is God's word so vital to your life and so important to your life, so important to our church? Well, it's vital because it makes us right before God. It makes us right before him, and that's what the ultimate aim is. That's the ultimate goal, right? We want to pursue right living. The Bible is meant to transform you. It is not meant to be an educational tool to fill your heads with knowledge, It is meant to change you, it is meant to transform you, it is meant to say, when the Bible is inside of your life, you look at your life a year ago, and I've said this time and time again, you look at your life over the course of those years and you look back and you say, I've changed. Or someone else looks at you and says, you've changed over the last six months, you've changed, the last year you've changed because you're now submitting to its teachings. You're not about just going to Bible study classes anymore or just listening to sermons and then forgetting them 15 minutes later. You're not just about reading your Bible and going about your day and forgetting what God said to you that day. No, you internalize it. You obey it. When you obey it, it's changing you. You're being trained in righteousness, right? In order for all of that to happen, you have to submit to what God wants to do in your life. It wants, we, God wants to lead us back to gospel-centered living. That's what the Bible says. When it said, when the people of God in Jerusalem, when they heard Peter preach the sermon, Acts chapter 2, 42, what does it describe, and how does it describe the people? We're cut to the heart. It's like, man, we've heard all kinds of things that the prophets have said. We've come to Jerusalem, we've done the prayers, we've given the offerings, we've done all the religious things, we've done it, done it, done it. All of a sudden, they've been cut to the heart. Why? Because the Spirit of God was moving and had moved upon this man named Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, preaches this sermon. It wasn't anything they hadn't heard before, necessarily. They had heard a lot of it before. Maybe they'd even set before Jesus. But in their unbelief, they had walked away, and it had no impact upon their life. But here and now, the Spirit of God was moving, and many in that city that day were cut to the heart. The Word of God changes us. The Word of God transforms us. And it leads us to gospel living, which is why Paul says to Timothy, if you just looked one chapter over, 2 Timothy 2, 22, what does he say? Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's not going to happen automatically in your life. You've got to flee the bad stuff and you've got to pursue the good stuff. And when you pursue the good stuff in the power of God, he leads you back to himself. God wants to shape you and I. He wants to shape our church through the Bible, through scripture. He wants to shape us to be a church that is healthy, that is vibrant, that is, that is fundamentally founded on his word. Why? Because God has an end game in your life and in my life. He has an end game is what Paul says to Timothy in verse 17, that the man of God, what, may be what? Complete, lacking, or equipped for every good work. It's a really good thing. It's a really encouraging thing God wants to do in my life. He has an end result for Timothy. It was to be a a man of God, a pastor, a young pastor for all of us. God wants to remake and shape our lives, but it's only going to happen when we change and move from man-centered living to a, a life of living all in for Jesus Christ. In other words, if I come to you and I ask you, hey, what does it take for a person to go to heaven? What would be your opinion? What would be your statement? I've asked that question from many, many people in many, many communities, in many, many countries. What do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? Some people would say, well, this or that. Some people would say, well, if I can be a really good dad, a really good person, try to be the best parent I can be, good person, man I can be, woman I can be, try to do my best. Some people just say, I don't know. Some people say, well, I don't even believe in a heaven. We all have an answer to that question. But if it's anything apart from believing in the, the finished work of Jesus Christ, then it's all man-centered, and it's not centered on God's work at all. I have to go to a place where I'm all in for Jesus Christ in order for then God to do this work in my life through his word that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God wants to do something in our lives. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in your group. He wants to do something in our church, in your family, and he wants to do this work, but he can't do this work if those boundaries are up, if he's sharing his glory with you if he's sharing his work with you. He doesn't want to share it with you, he shares it with no one, he only shares it with himself. And we submit and we surrender to his plan of action, his work in our lives. That word complete means to be capable, to be proficient. God's demands upon our lives, being holy and pure and righteous, Are met not with your wisdom. They're not met with my wisdom. They're met with God's wisdom, God's knowledge, and His power to meet those demands upon your life. So if He says to you, you be righteous, He's not banking on the fact that you're going to make yourself righteous. He's banking on the fact that I've already made and done the work. Therefore, all you need to do is by faith believe and trust and surrender to the work that's already been done, and I'll make you righteous and declare you righteous. That's how it works. But he wants to make us complete, lacking in nothing, equipped for every good work. And so the pathway to meet those demands makes you complete, rests on your willingness to allow the Spirit of God to make you complete for every good work. We love our Friday night lights, don't we? Everybody said amen. We love our Saturday afternoon college football games, don't we? We love our Sunday afternoons if you follow the NFL, Sunday night, Monday night, whatever it is. The fascinating part about that sport, football, it's like any other sport, but I'll just camp out on football, is that long before you get to the Friday nights, long before you get to the Saturday afternoons, long before you get to the Sunday afternoon NFL watching games, there is what is called training camp. There's training camp for high schoolers, there's training camp for college, training camp for NFL. All you coaches in the room and all you former coaches in the room will know this and understand this. Many of you don't know this. But you may not be aware, but NFL players and college players, they come back and there is a time at the beginning of every camp where they work on what's called fundamentals. I mean, You gotta work on footwork, pad level, and working on angles, working on eyes. Where are your eyes? Are they looking at the ground, are they looking up? All kinds of little nuances to understanding football, and listen, here's the thing, in the NFL to college to high school, all the way down the line, before they can get to opening up that playbook, they don't just start on day one and all of a sudden the playbook's opened up, we're running all kinds of plays. No, for the first few days they're working on you know, footwork. Lyman are working on keeping those heels out, keeping those, those, those feet apart. All that, listen, for a game. For a game. But what God brings us to is life. He brings us to church. He brings us to the power of what he wants to do here on earth for eternity. We're talking eternity here, folks. God's word is so vital to your life. So how does God's word become vital to your life? I think on several levels. I think it comes in the form of individual one-on-one. What is your Bible reading plan in your life? What is your plan to get the Bible and intake and bring it into your life? Are you reading it? We have a Bible reading plan that we use here at our church this year that you can read and use and follow along with. Are you memorizing verses of scripture? Are you at times memorizing important verses of Scripture? Here's something that I would encourage you to do. If you're going through a difficult season, you need to find those verses of Scripture that speak to that difficult season. Maybe you're trying to break this sinful habit in your life. Take those verses, write them on little cards, and memorize them. Keep them before you all the time in your truck, in your car, in your kitchen, wherever you are, and just keep internalizing God's Word. What is your plan individually? to get God's word into your life? What's your plan as a group? In our Bible study classes on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, our discipleship classes, what is your your plan to be fed, to grow, to be in small groups, to talk about the word of God in a small group setting? And then thirdly, on a third level, is worship. We need to make corporate worship a priority to us in our life. Why? Because God has a weekly word for us God has a weekly word for us. Let let me me give you two this today. There's a simple way to understand how I preach. I've been here now over a year. There's going to be, every Sunday, there's going to be a main idea, a main takeaway that God's word wants to say to us every week. What is the main idea for today? God's word is vital to your life. You walk away with these two verses, and that's what these two verses are pointing to. God's word is vital to my life. A week ago, we understood that it was our mission, right? What was the main idea to take away that, that from that sermon? It is leading people who are far from God to find, to live, and to share the life of Jesus. Three Sundays ago, we, pre, we looked at prayer. We looked at Matthew chapter six. You remember what the takeaway was? It is prayer done right yields the right reward. That's what Jesus is teaching in that passage. God is a weekly word for every one of us, and we have to make that a priority in our life, both on an individual level, on a corporate level in a small group, but then also corporately in a larger level in our worship services. And when we stay focused on what God wants to say to us, then we will be a people who are founded on his word. Which leads us here to the end, and that is this. Where are you in your relationship to his word? Because he has spoken to you and I. It is offered to you and I, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, is to come and to give your life to him. God doesn't leave us without calling us to a response. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Our worship team is going to come up and lead us into songs. We have a time of response here at the end of our service, a time to respond to his word. God speaks to us. Now, how are we going to respond to him? Maybe it is for you this morning as a Christian, you affirm it. Say, God, I want to follow your word. God, would you search my heart? Would you show me in any area, any way that I need to change in order to be back in line with your word? Maybe it is this morning. You just need to surrender to his word in your life, meaning that you believe in Jesus Christ, and he's your Savior and your Lord, but maybe you've drifted. Maybe you just need to say, God, I'm going to make your word now a priority in my home, in my life. It's going to be a priority now. Maybe God is saying to you this morning, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He's waiting for you to come. Say yes to him. Surrender your life to him. Because he is the word made flesh that has dwelt among us. Maybe God is calling you to join our church. Or maybe it is to be baptized. Maybe it is this morning to surrender to ministry. Maybe God's calling you in this room to be a pastor or you're not sure yet if that is what God wants you to do, but you've been thinking about it, you need someone to pray with you or talk to you through that, listen, there's no greater time than right now to say yes to him when it comes to those things. So let me pray for us, and we're going to stand and sing, and then we're going to worship him. You have the courage to come this morning. I'll be here at the front. We'll be here this morning to receive you, pray with you, talk to you about any matter. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word and how you instruct us and guide us. We give this time to you. Help us to be obedient to your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me and let's sing. Thank you for tuning in to one of our services. We would love to invite you, if you're ever in the Livingston area, to worship with us. We're located at 503 Northeast Avenue in Livingston, Texas. Here at Central Baptist, we are an intergenerational body of baptized believers with a blended style of praise who value expositional preaching, meaningful membership, consistent discipleship across all ages, and a gospel emphasis both locally and globally. If you'd like more information about Central, please visit our website at centrallivingston.com. Once again, thank you and have a blessed day.